Listeners, start your engines. For over 20 years, people have been asking, what is the Matrix? And we're not done getting an answer. Uh, I'm recording this, of course, uh, about a week or so ahead of the release of The Matrix Resurrections. And anticipating the release of that film, we've done coverage on the previous three movies on what used to be the Crooked Table podcast, now Close Watch with Robert Yannis Jr., the sister show to Franchise Detours. But let's break it down. This is one of the most influential movie franchises of the past few decades, certainly to me personally, and it felt only right to bring those episodes, those conversations on the Matrix trilogy over to this feed, Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. Obviously, these predate the inception of this show, so the format will not be identical to what you're used to. Uh, This will be a one long combined episode. Freddie Yanis, my brother, and I did a, a two-part conversation on The Matrix back in 2019. Here, we're presenting that full conversation in its all its two-hour glory, uh, and then followed by a two-hour and change episode with me and Jackson Smith of Screen Fever and Nightfall Entertainment talking about The Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions, so stick around for that. For now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump right into Freddie and I's 2019 conversation about The Matrix. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? What is happening to me? The answer is out there, Neo. It's the question that drives us. What is the Matrix? The Matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? They're watching you, Neo. Human beings are a disease. You are a cancer of this planet. And we are the cure. Get me the hell out of here! For this episode, I'm going all the way back to the beginning by bringing on the original co-host of the Crooked Table podcast, my brother, Freddie Yanis. Hello, everyone. Welcome <laughs> back to the Crooked Table podcast. I, I think the last one you were on was it sometime last year. I don't remember exactly what it was. It might have been uh, it was, the Cloverfield. Yes, that's the one. I think it was that one. Yeah. yeah, which was, funny enough, we just referenced a minute ago. I was yeah, talking about, yeah. yeah, we were talking about New Mutants was possibly getting uh, cast off to Hulu, and it was just, Cloverfield Paradox is a perfect example of Paramount had a movie, and they were like, I don't know what to do with this. It's not very good. It's fuck it. Super Bowl night. It's, w- it's a big deal now. I wonder if that point, is it like the creative control was just wonky, or the studio came 
and then ruined the whole thing. I don't you know. Well, it wasn't supposed to be, for the longest time, it was just a movie called God Particle, and it wasn't supposed to be Cloverfield. It was kind of reverse engineered into the Cloverfield franchise, so maybe that's part of it. Uh, oh, but either way, yeah. that's not, not a great movie. <laughs> I think the only like real, I mean, the first one's good, but now we're on a tangent already. Uh, the first one's good, but Ten Cloverfield Lane is freaking amazing. So that's a, that's a great film. Yeah. Obviously, check that out. Listen to our Cloverfield. Uh, it was really a retrospective on the whole franchise, too. We talked about all three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so go back and listen to that one. I don't even remember what episode number that was, but um, that think, was Freddie's previous, um, previous appearance here. I think we did Ten Cloverfield Lane as well. Maybe we talked about we that. We did a podcast. Yeah. On that one too. yeah. Or yeah. Or one of us, I think I had seen it and you hadn't or something at that point. So I was talking about it. Yeah. But it was, it's I'm that. Not. And then, yeah. So <laughs> just, it doesn't matter. <laughs> just go, go back and listen to, uh, Freddie's previous episodes, which are many, uh, you can find them all at crookedtable.com. So, uh, Freddie, welcome back. It's, uh, it's good to bring you on here. I, I obviously wanted to have you for this milestone episode. It's good to be back and good to be here. <laughs> That's for good. this milestone episode, <laughs> just, just, just reverberate what you just said back Sorry, to me. going here? What's going on? <laughs> Ceiling's not that tall. Um, so, of course, uh, we, I came to Freddie and I said, uh, "I'm, you know, we're, the podcast is reaching 100 episodes. I want to do something special. And yeah, episode 50, I just yammered on for an hour about like, this is what I'd like to do with the podcast. This is where it came from. This is where it's going. Blah, blah, blah. I actually started re-listening to that the other day to be like, all right, have I gotten any closer to what I'm saying on this in episode 50? And I did a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, the, to, the entire premise of the show has changed since then, which I did not anticipate when I recorded episode 50. Um, but, you know, I felt like bringing you on would would kind of mark that occasion. And then the film that you picked, which people that are playing this episode already know the title of, yes. uh, but we're, we like to build suspense in here. Um, <laughs> you know, when you said that, I just, I, I, it was it's the perfect selection because if, if I was doing, I mean, I granted the first episode of this new format was me, uh, my choice, and I chose Ace Ventura Pet Detective just because I thought it was kind of random, quirky, and I grew up with it. And I was just like, let's just pick something weird and see how it goes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but if I was picking my favorite movie, it would be between this and Jerry Maguire, which I wrote a feature about on the site about how much I love that movie and why and all that mm-hmm. and how it gives me all the feels. Um, but this was honestly more impactful uh, on me as a uh, a cinephile, as a, as a person, that a lover of movies and someone who sees much, gets much more out of them than just entertainment and escapism. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's so, so it's just kind of, it's really appropriate that you ended up picking that. Yeah, it's when you observe the, the like you're entertained, but you also observe the craft that right, exactly. happens behind Right, exactly. It. And I think, yeah, everybody has that movie. I think the YouTube movie critic, Chris Stuckman has mentioned a lot that his movie that, that kind of awoke him to that possibility was uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Signs in 2002. He's a little bit younger than me, so it was probably about the same age mm-hmm. uh, when he saw Signs as I was when I saw this movie. Um, but yeah, every, everybody that ends up becoming huge into movies or part of the industry or whatever, especially, I think, has that one film that kind of pff, opens your eyes. Mm-hmm. And that was this one for me. And we'll get into our histories with watching it and stuff in a little bit. So let me just uh, formally announce that we're going to be talking about the Matrix, and I don't know how long this conversation is going to be, but it'll probably rival the length of the movie, depending if I get to my four pages <laughs> of notes. And yes, I've seen this film a million times, and I still had lot lots, lots of notes and lots of things. I was like, oh shit, we need to make sure we talk about that. Um, just because there's a lot to get into just within the movie itself, also like its cultural impact mm-hmm. uh, and everything going on. So uh, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer for The Matrix. What is happening to me? The answer is out there, Neo. 
the question that drives us. What is the Matrix? The Matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? They're watching you, Neo. Human beings are a disease. You are a cancer of this planet. And we are the cure. Get me the hell out of here! Welcome to the real world. That was a little bit of the trailer from The Matrix. So, Freddie, since, you know, we both know the answer to this and most people listen, this is not like an obscure indie film that, that you picked. Yes. Uh, so can you tell people who, for some reason, aren't aware, what is The Matrix? I, I mean, I can, go, I can go on for forever. But basically, he is a, he's a programmer. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Can program, oh, it's not in my notes. Hold on, let me check. <laughs> he's a programmer. He does C++. <laughs> uh, he's a, he's a, progr- a programmer. And, um, and he has this alias that he goes by Neo in which he uh, creates these programs that he it's all very hands vague. off to it's all very to like criminals in which they can escape their identity or I, I, I believe that's they that's, don't really explain it in the movie but I like that I mean we'll talk about that but the, a lot of the, the it's mythos, open to interpretation yeah a lot of the mythos of neo and who he is and like all, all the stuff before the main plot kicks in like they just jump in like another movie might spend 15 20 minutes just explaining like oh so there's this guy and he just works for this thing and this is what he does and he it might he, be 20 minutes he discovers before the concept of the matrix and he's like what the hell is that and it's that but this movie just jumps in well they where, jump in right into the action with yeah trinity that's true and that's them true. talking about him on or no no yeah, the yeah they're talking you, about him on the you phone hear, you see the the like the cursor and it's uh, you hear Neo, uh, not Neo, uh, Trinity and Cipher talking about him, and then shh, you go into it, and, and go into you the, see her the, with the hands the, up and stuff. The binary zero, right? Go into the, the code of the yeah. Matrix, which is such an iconic image. Yeah. So, um, so that's that's really cool. And then like, oh, I'm being tracked, and then it leads right into the scene where she's right fighting it off, and that whole action sequence. Right. The, I mean. Screenwriting 101, you want to get your audience right off the bat. You know, you want to start with a scene that captures your audience. Mm-hmm. Even if you're writing an essay, you want something that's yeah. going to make them want to watch more, read more. Right. Um, and and that's that's scene. First of all, the image of, of going through the code, the, the code is, is a really cool image in itself. But um, having that whole action sequence and being... Uh, very gravity defying. I mean, this is one of many right. moments that that it's like that. But but that is at the time specifically, it wasn't as uh, prominent right. in a lot of uh, action films. Yeah. So starting off with that scene. I mean, I'm not really well, talking about the whole film. Yeah, yet, yeah. Let's just. But <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we can go scene by scene. Well, specifically, we will. I have. All of that cover. Um, why did you Why did you pick The Matrix as the movie you wanted to talk about? Um, well, when I initially saw it, it's because um, of how unique it is, how uh, it goes against. It's it's especially at the time. It's nothing that you've. 
it's it, you've never seen it before right you know and it's one of those movies that blows your mind makes you think when you watch it you you catch other several other things it's cleverly written the music is really really good and it has those uh, the cinematography the action sequence everything in this movie right. is 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 on point and uh, and 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 the fact that it's about um, a person that feels that's that feels like he wants to escape his reality a little bit by be, by going under an, a different alias and he realizes that his life has more meaning than what it's uh, what he deems it's destined it's to a, be. It's a, that's a, yeah, and that's a classic storytelling trope. Luke Skywalker or Anakin Skywalker, either one, both yeah. uh, Harry Potter, uh, Frodo Baggins, everyone's like yeah. the one, the chosen for whatever purpose. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that plays into all of that very, very much so. Yeah, and then it takes it up another level. Yeah, so this I'm is adding all the whole mythos of of uh, of uh, the Matrix and and uh, you know robots taking over and, and spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> no, obviously we're we're gonna when we when we delve straight up into the movie, there we will it will be all spoilers. This is not even a podcast where I pretend to care about spoilers. Yeah, um, like we did. A, I did an episode that actually I think the episode previous to this one. Um, where we talked about a movie from last year, mm-hmm. and I, I was like, "Yeah, spoilers. It's all whatever. We'll let it all hang out there." Yeah. Um, it's just this is not the kind of show. In order to have a really deep dissection of a movie, and this movie is, as of this recording, twenty years old, which is astounding. Like almost exactly, almost to the like a couple months away. It came out. Uh, I have it written down somewhere. Uh, it came out like March. Yeah, March thirty first, nineteen ninety nine. So we we're about two months uh, prior to the twentieth anniversary proper. Um, of this film. So yeah, so we will del- be delving into all the, that spoilerific detail. So this is your, this was your personal favorite film, right? Yes, definitely. Did you, when did we even, when did uh, mom and dad even let you see this? Did you see it when it came out? Were you like eight years old watching the matrix? I forget like pretty much like, yeah, I think so. It wasn't, I mean it's, and it's R rated, it but it's not like it's R rated, but I feel like it's R rated almost more because of the concepts and the themes, the whole like, yeah, human race is fucked. We're all taken over by like it's more the the content because other than the the lobby scene, which we'll mention there in a little bit, uh, other than the big lobby shootout and stuff towards the end, there's a lot there's action, but there's nothing really like super violent until later on. There's not even that much language. There's no f bombs. Like you take away a couple like the 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 lobby shootout, you tone that down a little bit or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the gun to the head with, with Trinity, uh, Trinity shooting the, the agent, things like that. This could easily almost be PG-13. Yeah, I think so. It's mainly language Yeah, than anything else. There's no, there's no sex. There's no, there's no really, like, there's nothing there's no like There's no, all. like, sweaty rave scene like there so, is in the sequel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, th- I think for this one, I think I saw pretty much all of it in its entirety. Yeah. And, and if and if there was something bad, it would just be like turn a, you know close your eyes right. or turn around or something like that. So did you like the movie that much from from that? Yeah, I mean I I know because yeah. I grew up with you, but <laughs> listening oh, yeah. to, for the listeners, did you like were you immediately hooked for this movie when you first saw it, or were you did it take did it take? I mean, because it's also a movie that kind of. Uh, you can almost kind of age into like as a little kid you're like cool action stuff but then as you get older you're like holy shit there's a lot more going on here than I even thought of when I first saw it because I, I, I mean 
I was 16 when, or almost 16. I was 15 when I saw this, mm-hmm. but I was 16 and 99. So, um, you know, I, even at that age, like this movie came out and this, this movie blew my little 15 year old mind. So I can only imagine <laughs> watching it as like, yeah, you weren't, so you weren't even eight yet. You were seven when it came out. In the, you didn't see it in theaters though. I don't think I'm pretty sure I went with dad and then we got it on VHS and then we watched. Yeah. And then I probably it. saw it there. I don't remember the first time that I saw it, but I knew that. I, I loved it right away. Right. Um, Did you understand you it? When you yeah, I, I, I understood it. Okay. I, I might not have picked up everything, but I, I it's one of those movies that really gets you thinking. Right. And I, that's something that I admired from the first time I saw it. So. And the movie goes to great lengths to make sure that you understand its central premise very clearly where literally you have that like like chilling moment where where morpheus is explained it to neo and then he does his little his basically his conclusion to his whole desert of the real speech Mm -hmm. where he's like the matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes in order to turn a human being into this and he holds up the battery yeah like that's you're like oh okay got it Humans are batteries. We're being used. We're being used as fuel for the. Okay, cool. Like that's all to, you need to, to know. Power, like they're like to power the robots. It's almost like and yeah. I reference. I think like I referenced this on the podcast before, but it's almost like that spaceballs moment where he turns around. And he's like, everybody got that. It's like just to make sure that you understand hundred percent. This is what the situation is. They they really nail it. Uh, they really hit the nail on the head and and illustrate that as as blatantly as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, and then of course, earlier in the movie switch calls Neo like copper top, which is like the battery. There's a lot, a million, we'll talk about a lot of that. Um, so yeah, so I, I first saw this in theaters when it came out with, with, with our dad. Uh, and I, I really liked it, but I I felt like my, I I had no idea what the hell was going on. Like Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't understand this shit, but it's, this is cool, but I don't, I don't, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) Something about robots. I don't understand it. Like, because at that point, I hadn't. Like, there's been movies like this. There's been movies that are really deep and thought provoking, and and uh, you know, kind of challenging viewers in this in that way. But I feel like not not in this level. Nothing that had gone like nothing like that had really gone mainstream in a long time. Um, so yeah, so I saw that's when I saw it in theaters, and then as we sort of alluded to a few minutes ago, I I did a like insanely long thesis on sci-fi and fantasy and things like that which i may be working on brushing up brushing up in the near future but so so i've written an entire paper on the matrix and like you you know i I read a lot about it over the years and things like that so my appreciation for it has only grown but this was the film and i think this is probably the case for you too um this was the film that really opened my eyes to the fact that there they were there were people making these movies like i knew there were people making the movies but there were people making these movies there was you know, all kinds of influences involved. Like, you know, uh, art is, is cyclical. So someone makes something that introduces that, that, uh, influences somebody else to make something. And then they, they bring their experiences and things they've seen, the things they've learned, uh, from their own personal life, but also from the art that they've witnessed and they bring that to their own projects. Uh, there's symbolism and all kinds of illusions going on in here. I mean, I even wrote down some of the stuff that this, this film, has so many different things going there's sci-fi there's philosophy there's anime there's film noir there's kind of a body horror thing going on there's even some fairy tales and religion and fantasy elements there's there's so much stuffed into this one film so yeah so i watched this uh i mean yeah i watched it when i was 15 and i got it on vhs got it on dvd and got it on blu-ray 
Well, sort of. I sort of we mentioned four K. Not yet. I don't have four K really. <laughs> Um, but I, we might mention the sequels tangentially, but for the most part, we're really going to focus in on this one film. It starts out with the code. We have Trinity and Cypher talking, and it feels very film noir to me. Like in the beginning, it's just like, oh, this guy, I've been watching him, blah, blah, blah. You know, everybody's shady. And, like, and, and then uh, that's when the, uh, the in, Agent Smith is, is uh, introduced. introduced yeah. And I won't get your feedback on this, but for me, he's, he's probably one of my all-time favorite cinematic villains would you would you would you agree with that definitely yeah why do you think that is why do you think we love him so much um well because he's he's he acts so like together and cool and 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 uh and he has all his shit together pretty much but when you but when he when he has that scene with morpheus he breaks and you realize that he's had it with this world and he just wants to be left alone <laughs> no and, and that's you what's know? i think <clears throat> i think that that moment is really key because um he in in this movie he's actually kind of he's like the, the machine that's actually becoming more human as it goes on like he's he's getting more and more fed up more and more, like he's having human emotions he's he yeah. has a rage he has uh like frustration and like bitterness and like all this stuff that like he hates the humanity so much but he's forced to be yeah he he tastes the stink and things like that um so it's yeah and and that's a thread that the sequels as i was saying with the sequels that's a thread that they pick up on really well where he's actually like unplugged so to speak as he says and um like goes on sort of a huge like a power trip basically yes and rebels against the system and i noted like throughout this movie there's very much a kind of anti-authority anti-establishment there's a very much like a kind of a revolutionary spirit to to the film in general that i think really carries throughout all the wachowski's work i mean if you look at like speed racer or like either they're going against the racing institution it's a real to be corrupt and um sense eight sense eight which i haven't even you've seen all of i've seen like a couple episodes of but i need to that's the only thing that they've made that i haven't really watched because i'm not as much of a tv person these days um but i definitely want did they ever put out like the movie that they were supposed to do or to finish it? um i didn't watch it because i was sad that it ended oh uh, <laughs> so you're like it's never gonna end in my mind yeah i'm gonna leave it unresolved yeah um, i'm so pissed that netflix took it off it's, well netflix it was actually now, turning now canceling into all the marvel shows they're, they're like canceling things that left and right yeah exactly but i think that's more to do with the deal with uh, disney than any the disney and fox thing or whatever mm-hmm. anyway um, I guess, but uh, yeah, but yeah, that's a theme that they're really big on uh, in a lot of their work. So um, yeah, so Agent Smith, Hugo Weaving was, I think, my real discovery in this movie. Cause also, this was just, even before Lord of the Rings. And just his his voice, the way he carries himself, he has like a very like unique look to. Um, they add to the character as well. That's part of. Of, uh, of kind of what the, the themes that they're trying to get across. And this was around the time where there was a lot of dystopian movies. Like this is often gets compared to Dark City. And, and this is part of the year, this, which felt to me like 1999, for those who didn't live through it, is, it was a very pivotal shift for cinema. Like there were all these like kind of, uh, all these films that were like, that were fighting against kind of the, uh, the, the 
preconceived notion that this is what a film should be. This is what you should strive for. This is the system and this is your box and you stay within it. You know, you had movies like American Beauty, which is about, which I've talked about with my friend Michael Hinman on a previous episode. People can find that at crookedtable.com, which is about a middle-aged man basically having a midlife crisis and saying, yeah, fuck this job. Fuck you. Fuck this this family situation I'm in. I'm going to pick up my my plate of asparagus and throw it against the wall. Whatever. Fight Club, which the whole movie's about against the system mm-hmm. uh, being John Malkovich which really questions like uh, you know gender norms and like all kinds of like you know the your consciousness like there's a lot of this is like this is a really this is like the nexus point of of uh, that kind of outsider thinking breaking into the mainstream and I think the matrix is is an illustration of that yeah I could see that <laughs> <laughs> anything else it, um I mean, there, yeah, there's a lot of ties that you can make between like, like, uh, like, oh, I, 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 like between like a robot and someone that's older, that's very like set serious, set in their ways, um, just going through the motions day after day, doing the same routine things, very much like, uh, like a program is, which right. is what the Asians are. I mean, uh, they're, 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 they're uploaded into the system. Right. In a way. That's so, all metaphorical to me. It's yeah. Yeah. And they all wear like, they're all like proper with their suits and, and their hair done nice with sunglasses. We could talk about this all day and just break down all these different things just because there is so much to say just about this one element of it. Um, and, you know, this is one of those movies that I rarely say this, but this is one of those movies that I would I would literally say is a flawless movie. Like, I would, there's not a, a frame I would change. There's not a line of dialogue. Even the CGI, which could be a little better if they did it now it's not it's not so dated that it it's egregious yeah, you know exactly. it's not it's not like back in the day like some of those movies that rely more on stop motion where it, like if you look at Ghostbusters which is a movie I love some of the stuff with the dogs the demon dogs running like it's really bad because yeah. it's just like stop motion it's like does not hold up at all it looks ludicrous yeah um uh, when they're sitting, it's fine because it's the animatronics and stuff. That that obviously has aged really well. But uh, the CG in here, like when he throws, puts the bug in his in his stomach and all that stuff. And of course, you have the bullet time um, that happens with Trinity, sort of in the beginning, and then uh, think, with Neo. I think the, the crappiest CGI in this movie is the the part with the mouth and how it's like yeah, like uh, kind of closing. yeah, yeah. When it's closing, it cuts to him. He has like. Um, like it starts to, gumming to up, close, kind of, gumming yeah. up. Yeah, exactly. That, that's probably like the part where you could be like, oh, this is a little dated Sketchy. on the CGI. This is yeah. so 90s. But the rest of it, it like the, the when he when he wakes up in uh, the real world for the first time um, and he sees like the farm. The, of, the pod yeah, people the, or the, whatever. The yeah. farm of humans below that they're sucking energy out of. Um, that... This uh, looks incredible. Yeah, and you you wouldn't even know that that was the nineties. It's interesting that he's basically born in like he's basically reborn. He's like a little baby with his bald head, never used his eyes before. Yeah, his exactly. Muscles are atrophying and everything. Yeah, um, and he's basically born in like this little pod full of essentially amniotic fluid, basically. Uh, and it, yeah, that's that's and that, that's where it gets into some of the kind of some of the body horror elements, like with the like was, cables popping off his it's back. Very, it's, it's very like, dark. It's very Cronenberg esque, like with the fly and things like that. Because they said that the ones that do die 
are then liquefied and used to feed the ones which that is, are living. Which I think, I think Kai forgot about that because when I was rewatching it yesterday, she was like, "Whoa, what the hell?" Yeah. Like you forget how like how graphic some of the things that you know how much. And that's why I'm saying I think it's why that's more than like the the fighting and stuff. I think in a way that's why this movie kind of deserves to be rated R because the concepts are so like horrific in rea- in reality. Um, and obviously, you know, we're talking about the visual effects. This did get an Oscar for visual effects, which I think is well deserved, uh, just because it, it created that. It deserves more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in this day and age, I kind of feel like if this came out now, this would probably get nominated for. It best still picture. holds up. I mean, Black Panther is nominated for best picture and won the, the SAG award uh, for best ensemble cast and things like that. So I feel like, you know, this is this was so uh, you know got very positive reviews, huge hit at the box office. It has all like we said all this all this uh, artistry and craft that went into making it. It's not just another like popcorn flick. Um, like a lot of the other ones that, that came out around this time or that came out after and that wanted it to be the matrix. Yes. Uh, it was such a reference point in pop culture that everything was, everyone was doing parodies of this, whether it's like Shrek or a scary movie, or they were taking this kind of action and being like, we could do something like that with our fighting. If you watch something like Charlie's angels, it's all those, like Drew Barrymore up in wire and shit, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was such a turning point in so many different ways. Um, and it's interesting that it's kind of, as I was saying with the film noir aspect earlier, it starts out from the perspective of the real world, like starts with where we would normally come from in a movie like this, mm-hmm. that place of awe and be like, what the hell? People are jumping on roofs and shit. What is happening? Yeah, exactly. And then little by little kind of brings you in and then, Neo kind of acts as the audience surrogate. There's also a certain element, I think, in the story, because it's a chosen one story. There's a certain element of wish fulfillment, I think, where you are, every time you watch them, part of why I think that's such a huge storytelling uh, hallmark that a lot of movies and books and whatever refer back to is because it's always, it's like, it's the, like I said, the wish fulfillment element. So you're reading a story, you're reading Harry Potter, you're like, fuck, I wish Hagrid would walk in in my house and be like, you're a wizard, Rob. You're a wizard, Freddy, you know? Yeah. Uh, so the fact that they got a guy who is obviously Keanu Reeves is very good looking and also kind of ageless because he looks the same now and it's 20 years ago yeah pretty much Uh, um, uh, but he's also the way he acts as far as in an action role feels kind of almost fish out of watery in a way I know he'd done action a little before this was before speed was before this and things like that but like him doing kung fu like at the end when he does like the the pose he looks kind of goofy but when you remember that then the context of the movie, he's supposed to be kind of a computer nerd, like like very like very much insular. He's not like a cool, confident guy. He's like somebody that all of a sudden discovers, oh, I know kung fu. Yeah, you know. Well, this is yeah. That's that was one of the things that I noticed when I watched uh, the film again is that their first fight sequence um, in the dojo, um, their first sequence with him and Morpheus. Yeah, their first fight one before they take can. the break and then they get. It's very um, like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Same, uh, and that's the thing. Same choreographer, Yin Wu Ping. Yeah, it's very like uh, playful. Uh, sparring. Like, it's a sparring program. It's, yeah. It's well, it's not like realistic fighting as much. Yeah. It's like it's like artistic, like like um, like I just learned how to play. Like I, I just learned how to fight. Right. And Morpheus is probably like just going along with it. He's like, oh, look at him. He, he ran up the beam and he's flipping around and he punches him no one's spun spun yeah exactly goes, yeah. yeah he's just like letting him get his 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 uh 
you know, get a feel for get it. a feel for it because he just literally just learned kung fu within the ten hours or whatever um, that he was on the chair. So, um, so he's just like, oh, I'll I'll go and take this ride with you, and when you know you want to be playful, I'll I'll go toe to toe. But then it starts getting serious. You realize there's more close contact. Uh, there's not so many like flips and like acrobatic things right. and stuff like that. It's more realistic, serious. And I think that's when Neil like takes it seriously in terms of uh, of um, like getting. He starts getting his bearings with the kung fu, and he tries to actually beat Morpheus. Right. Yeah, and then he starts. After think, he realizes that all his little like tricks and flips, and then Mouse notices that he's like, "Look at it! Look at the! Look at his his you know his you know his whatever they're however they're speeding his speed or whatever is like off the charts, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing." And I do I did notice watching it this time that uh, the real world people like the main the heroes, uh, their their moves are much more balletic, and they're much more uh, you know uh, athletic kung fu like very much like yoga inspired like whooshing around and stuff whereas the agents because they are inherently much stronger because they're part of the system they're much more brutish and they just like boom 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 punch you know like there's Hugo Weaving does choreography with Neo towards the end when they're fighting in the subway station but for the most part he's just like pounding on people the agents you know they don't really they don't like swoop around or jump off rooftops and stuff they're just like Terminator mode, basically the whole movie. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I think that's interesting. You know, Yen Wu Ping did such a great job with the choreography that it even informs kind of the characters and and their methods and their abilities in that way. Um, and I think you know, I think you you really hit hit on something there with Neo and Morpheus. And that's basically other than the Trinity thing in the beginning where she jumps up and does that little like crane kick on that yeah. guy uh, and then jumps off the roof and kind of gets away. Um, other than that opening moment where we have no idea what the hell's going on. Um, the Neo Morpheus fight is kind of the only next really bit of bit of combat that we get in the film. Um, but no, I really, I noticed that about, uh, Keanu Reeves casting here that I think it brings, it bridges the gap kind of, you know, uh, casting somebody that feels a little out of place as an, as this kind of Kung Fu artist, uh, it, it kind of serves the, the idea that, you know, hey, even you could be a kung fu master. You could be the one and you don't even know it. You're sleeping on your keyboard and you're like, hey, it's talking to you. Follow the white rabbit, man. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's kind of awakened. I think, and it's the, the end. The movie ends like that in a way where he's talking to the matrix, to presumably, I guess, the matrix. Say, I want to show these people what, what you don't want them to see a world without you, without, uh, without borders and boundaries, but all that whole speech, mm-hmm. a world where anything is possible. It's almost like Neo challenging you, like, hey, you can do it. You can do anything you put your mind to. Maybe you have all this potential. Maybe you're like Spoon Boy and the other potentials. There, there is no spoon. It's only you, it, you're you're only bending yourself. Like it's you that you have to. Listen, I'm getting inspired now. Yeah. You have to find have the to power find within, within yourself, yourself, and you can. You know, maybe you're not going to be able to run on walls and dodge bullets, but you can accomplish great things if you set your mind to it. And and in that way, I think the movie is very inspiring and amidst again amidst all the other like philosophy and all these other things like film noir and all these other elements that are in this film it has like a really kind of powerful impactful message and that's probably another reason it's stuck with both of us for 20 years in that way i agree (laughs) wow (laughs) thanks for that um 
So, uh, so yeah. So, and there's a lot. The movie drops symbolism and all kinds of hints and references right from the beginning. I mean, I forgot the guy's name. The guy with Dujour at the beginning. He buys the disc, but he says, "Oh, you're my savior, man. My own personal Jesus Christ." Because the whole movie, Jesus uh, Neo, not Jesus. Might as well. Might as well call him Jesus. Uh, Neo has like such a, such a he's such a messianic figure in this movie. He's very much a messiah. Uh, there's like he dies and then is reborn and all this stuff. Um, and the same guy says that Neo needs to unplug. And there's a lot of there's a lot of things happening here, and like it almost makes me wonder if that group, like those people, I I don't know if this is something I came up with or something I read as a fan theory, but that those guys, like those people, are actually residents of Zion who are kind of sent into the Matrix to bring Neo and start him off on this path. Oh, you mean the, the the dude at the door whose name I can't remember. The white rabbit and and yeah, what's the girl? Their way of yeah, they're 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 people that are (coughs) plotted there to get him to go to the club where Trinity will meet with him. Right. Well, otherwise, how would she know? Unless she's she did like uh, research on them before or something. something. It's weird the way that happens. Um, And there's a lot of things in this movie where you can kind of um, I wrote down here somewhere that there's that moment. With yeah, right here, where Tank wakes up and kills Cipher. Very coincidentally, there's a lot of things in this movie that feel like you could either be like, "All right, well, that's just you know, that's just a coincidence," or that's just like uh, you know, uh, the system, logic, whatever. Like there's a lot, of, there's a big science versus faith thing going on here. What do you mean the part with Tank and Cipher? So the part when um, the part when Cipher is about to pull the plug on Neo. And he's like, if he, how could he be the one if he's dead? That whole thing. Yeah. Joe Pantoliano, another like VIP of this movie for sure. Yes. Basically, I like the bad guys in this movie the most. It sounds like Agent Smith and Cipher. Um, just like they get like they have the, the most the richest performances in some ways. Uh, although to be fair, my favorite in the movie is probably Morpheus. Like, oh, yeah. He's he's got the the awesome voice. He's got like he's like the the character you want to root for, and he's also the one that you, they they make sure that you care about in the first half because the second half, his life is in jeopardy. Like most of the second half of the movie, yes, he's, exactly. he's captive and being tortured or whatever. Um, so no, the, uh, the part when Cypher is about to pull the plug on Neo and then, te- and she's like, he's like, uh, talking to Trinity. He's like, you never told me if you bought into Morpheus is bullshit. I just want to know yes or no. And she's like, yes. He's like, no, I don't believe it. And Tang's like, believe it or not, you piece of shit. You're still going to burn that whole part. Yeah. Which Marcus Chong is great in this movie. So you're saying like his, so uh, the timing of time to Tank up. happening to wake up and pick up that gun at the exact moment that Cypher was like, because he could have picked it, it up. Is it faded? Is Neo faded that he's the one? Because, so there's this whole thing going on here where she just basically tells you what you need to hear. It's kind of self-fulfilling prophecies. Like she doesn't know that Neo is – I don't think she necessarily knows that Neo is the one. Or do you think that she knows Neo is the one? Or do you think she kind of hopes that he will become the one because she's giving him uh, – telling him what he needs to hear to, to to achieve his full – kind of like spoilers, mild spoilers. Not really. Uh, for Glass, like in that – part of that movie is Mr. Glass – working with the beast to push David Dunn to reach his full potential. So is it like that kind of situation where the Oracle's saying, Oh, sorry, you're not the one. So that he'll put himself in a situation where he has to become the one and kind of rise up to it. I I, I believe that she puts in his mind that he is not the one, but it's still up to him to make the choice on whether or not he wants to go and save Morpheus 
or go and just be there for himself. But I think the point that she makes to Morpheus that he is the one, um, because I'm sure there's been several other ones, but he is the one. Well, the one that survives. So in her head, she probably already knows the tank is going to go there at that moment. Maybe in another one, Tank wasn't, you know, someone like Tank wasn't there to stop that, and they were too late. But in this instance, what what makes this very uh, prominent, like uh, notable, him being the one, is the fact that he does go in time to save him, and that's what the whole movie's about. You know, no one wants a movie about. Well, obviously, a, I just one that's, in the context. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm saying dead. like he, he wouldn't be the one if he was dead. Cyber <laughs> yeah. was like, I mean, that'd be. What's enough guys watching this movie? If he's the one, and I kill him, he's not the one. So I mean, that'd be Sorry, a big thanks turn. For the money, but that'd be a big over. turn in the plot. Because, yeah. <laughs> because if you pulled the plug, Neo's dead. He then, pulled, yeah, that's then, like a choose then, your own adventure. I mean, he pulls the plug, and then it's like the end. Then maybe Tank comes. He fries Cipher. <laughs> then the Sentinels come. They kill the Neo. Almost they dies. Destroy, very many, they many destroy times the Nebuchadnezzar movie. because, like, like um, Agent Smith said, like, oh, bring the Sentinels in as according a plan. So they're planning on killing Cipher anyways. Right. In, in in this plan of theirs, they just wanted him uh, to use him as a pawn to get to Morpheus. Right. So um, then it would just be Trinity, and she would be a lonely act trying to. It'd probably be just like She'd an be escaped. One. Maybe she. Well, would you know, the there's one. there's a line of uh, Star Wars comics that are sort of like what if scenarios. So it's like what if Luke died in the snow on. That's the one I have. Luke died in the snow on Hoth. And couldn't become, you know, save the the rebellion and defeat the Empire. And Leia had to go to Dagobah to train to be a Jedi. So it would have been like that kind of scenario, maybe, where Neo dies and Trinity's like, fuck it, I'll be the one. Yeah, well, maybe all those things had to happen in order for Trinity to find it within herself to become the one. Maybe the Oracle fed the lie that Neo is the one that she's going to be with or whatever. Right. And well, it's also like, you know, if you tell, if someone that you believe is and i even wrote that down here that she's kind of influencing the future under the guise of a prophet it's being you know if if you have someone that you believe knows all and they tell you see that person over there it's the person you're gonna marry yo then you might be like really i guess i should talk to him and then oh look what happened we fell in love because that that idea was sort of incepted into uh into trinity's head you know like she even says to Neo, it's like, Zephyr, don't worry about the, the vase. And he's like, oh, what vase? Pff. And she's like, what's really gonna, what you're really going to wonder is later on, would you have broken it if I hadn't said anything? It's like that kind of thing. Yeah, but would he have thought about that if she didn't say anything about him? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, would he think about that later unless she took note and said that you're going to be thinking about this right, later? Right, right, exactly. Exactly. That's another, it's, that's another it's all, point, it's all levels of manipulation to me. Um, but the the thing he still did end up turning to be the one. Right. So she might she probably if she didn't know for sure she had a hunch at least that he was going to be the one. Right. Or at least saw something in him that would make him possible to. He's be got the gift. She said that at least she she admits that much. Um, 
<clears throat> and I think Gloria Foster, who played the, the Oracle, since now we're transitioning into a conversation about the Oracle, which I have a whole bunch of notes on that one scene. Um, I, I, she was an accomplished stage actress and everything before this, and she you know, kind of sadly passed away. Uh, after Reloaded, she had the one, another one, one scene in Reloaded. Uh, I think she's one of the, the greatest like one-scene performances of all time because you come into this and you you don't question anything she tells you. Like, you know, uh, she she feels 100% believable in the role and her scene is so pivotal for establishing uh, this story and where it's going and, and really grounding the... I mean, when she shows up, the whole movie after that point is about what she told Neo, yeah. really, you yeah. know? Um, and the fact that she has that know thyself in Latin over her doorway kind of lends into the whole self-empowerment thing we were talking about earlier, that it's like being in love and all that stuff. And she says, she even says to Neo, I'll see you in your next life, kind of teasing the fact that he's probably going to die and then come back. Um, and then when she quotes to him, another thing I thought, when she quotes to him, um, you know, you're going to go back, you're going to have a cookie, and you're going to go back and you're going to remember you don't believe in any of this fake crap. It kind of makes me feel like since we later find out she's a program, it feels like that's almost an early hint of that, that of her, the true nature of her. And then maybe she's through the matrix. She's been watching him along with kind of as Morpheus has been searching him. Like if, um, if she's moving around the pieces on the, the chessboard, she is the person standing over the chessboard, kind of watching everything and maneuvering everything around. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it makes me think that, she's kind of been keeping an eye on everything in the situation by watching the matrix. Like when they, when people, cause remember Neo tells that to Morpheus when they're in the matrix. So she knows everything that happens in the matrix and she's been watching these key players in the game that she's playing. Yeah. So I feel like that's kind of an early hint to the fact that she's not just a person or whatever. Cause at this point you don't know if she's just a human being who was unplugged and somehow has this magical gift. Um, it's really, you know, it's really left open to interpretation and then not until the next one where you find out what was going on. So it makes me think that she was kind of um, keeping an eye on him from the beginning and uh, that she even maybe knows the agent's plan to to come after Morpheus because that literally happens right after they're leaving the, the Oracle, like when they're about to head back, pretty much. So it makes me think that she knows what the agents are up to because she's part of the system. And that she can be like, oh, watch out sometime soon. I'm not going to say when. Yeah. They might be coming for Morpheus and it's up to you to make a decision. Know yourself. You yeah. know? <laughs> um, so I feel like that. that kind of like be, a secret cell type yeah, of. Yeah. Like, like she's tapped in like. But she's, to the, she's part of the. She's a program and she's part of the. She's in the system. So it makes me think that she she's kind of aware of what's happening on both sides and it's kind of being like, all right, how can I get these people all where I want them to be so I can kind of do you think she's achieve on, peace? Do you think she's on the same side as the agents? No, not at or all. Or do you think that she's on another side and has like a like a like a police like radio that taps into their like their <laughs> little earpiece? Well I think she's I think she's uh, she's not on the agent side, but she's still a program and so she's still inherently part of the system. You know, and because she's the mother of the matrix, I like to think she has some kind of uh, oversight over what's going on, whether because they're all plugged into the source, which at the end is the giant baby head made from sentinels, I guess. Um, But if she's the mother of the matrix, can't she influence the agents then? I know she can influence the agents, but she can she knows what I think she knows what's what they're up to and what their plans are so that she can kind of 
tell Neo the thing he needs to hear exactly when he needs to hear it so he can take action so that he can become the one and kind of, you know, little by little try and, and get the, the humanity side of this sort of ongoing battle to, so, to, to end the cycle of mm-hmm. the, the same, you know, humanity's uprising, the machines destroy them, they start over again, blah, 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 blah. Create another program. Right, exactly. It's like, the, yeah, keep rebooting the Matrix over and over. And she's trying to end that because, she, you know, maybe she's a... We've seen a lot of times in these movies, whether it's Smith becoming uh, pissed off and bitter and, like, making Lawrence Fishburne smell his own sweat... And uh, later in the movies, like with the, you know, Persephone and, and her like turning her back on the Merovingian. And then, uh, oh man, I can't remember in the third one, the, the people's names, but the, uh, the Sati's parents in the third one who are like developed love. They developed emotion. You know, uh, I think she's de- realized she's kind of developed more of a, a sense of morality that what the machines are doing and the way that they're enslaving humanity is not right. And so she's trying to do what she can from the inside. She's like the inside man, basically. Yeah. To from the inside to try and and end that, if that makes sense. It does. <laughs> so going into uh, the Morpheus, like, what did you think about? Uh, I guess Lawrence Fishburne's casting and the whole introduction scene with him in the house and the in the the was it a house? What is the hell is that? It's like a random place that they go. Um. It might be like, a, like mansion. A, where, a mansion, a warehouse, or something. I don't yeah. even know. Yeah, it might be like a mansion or something. To, to, like on the decor and stuff, it kind of looks like it might be like a like a mansion or. Um, I, yeah, I thought his his uh, delivery was really good. I thought. I mean, not a lot of people can make like a character that awesome. I mean, the script is incredible. Right. Well, yeah, you also really have to, for sure. But, but, but it also depends on the actor and the delivery on how those things come. You know, it could sound like too cheesy or too, you know, like, oh, it's Tommy uh, to take this pill or that this isn't real. Yeah, you have or, to have a sort of era of authority. Otherwise, audiences aren't going to buy the, like, outrageous sci-fi premise that you're selling them. Exactly. So I thought I thought he was very good at the delivery, and he just has a really cool voice as well. Yeah, and of course, Morpheus in mythology is the god of dreams, uh, and then the the thing with the sunglasses that don't have the legs is super cool. Um, and it's raining when they go there, so there's like all this. He brings in he brings in part of uh, the fairy tale element that I'm talking about with the Alice in Wonderland reference. Trinity basically does the Sleeping Beauty kiss on. Uh, Neo and wakes him up. So there's a lot of that going on. No, I I don't know. I I really like um, Morpheus. Uh, For some reason, he's one of my favorite characters, I think, just because he has that sort of uh, certainty in in his conviction. Like, he knows, he's like, he doesn't even question. He's like, no, you're the one. And then everybody else is like, Neo's like, I'm not the one, Trinity. And Trinity's like, no, no, you're supposed to be because I think you're cool and I want to have all your babies. And... um, (laughs) Uh, and Oracle told me that was going to be you. So, um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the, he ha, in like Morpheus has such blind faith in this that even the Oracle, like she says, even the Oracle wouldn't be able to tell him otherwise. What else does he have? You know, he has to have a blind faith in, in him being the one. Otherwise they're screwed. Yeah. If they don't have anyone. It's like, uh, it's, it's like, you know, people, uh, you know, having like re- religious beliefs, 
they feel like with all this bad stuff that happens to me, I'm going to, there's going to be some, uh, um, it's all going to be corrected and in the end because of, you know, uh, some deity, whatever yeah. religion. So that's kind of like Neo's, like his like guiding star being like, well, all this bad stuff that's happening right now, this person is going to solve all of the stuff that's happening in the real world. Um, so he has no other choice yeah, no but recourse. to believe in, in him and, and to believe in <clears throat> And the possibility of the the one. No, I mean that scene is this whole scene is so iconic. I used to have a T-shirt with Morpheus' sunglasses and one one with Neo with the one with the red pill, and one with the blue pill. Like there's memes. That whole, of there's memes of the red pill yeah. and the blue pill, and like everything in this movie has become such a such a reference point uh, that it, it's it's crazy. I mean, people talk about now like with the the uh, oh deja vu and the glitch in the Matrix is, is a thing that people now reference because everybody knows about it and all of that. Um, it's just the, the scene with it really lay, this is where the exposition really kicks in up to this point this movie's been very uh, very confident in what it's trying to get across it's really challenges challenges the viewers like I was saying earlier challenges your perception there's no easy exploration explanations about them what the matrix is they really build up what is the matrix this mystery that you're like and this is really key part of the marketing too the whole trailer is like what is the matrix and then there's like doom what is www.whatisthematrix.com was the website for the movie and everything and then you see the movie and they jump in and everybody's talking about what is the matrix this mystery of the matrix you're like what the hell what is i've never even heard of this before why are we wondering what the matrix is i only yeah. I came to see a movie called the matrix so yeah. i'm wondering that too based on that is he gonna but take that, i'm like i have no idea what's going on is he gonna take a pill and then he's just gonna be in a cot like <laughs> with withdrawals or something I, like you never know it could be a train spotting yeah. scenario yeah so um <laughs> What it, it really, um, it really just rolls with that whole idea of the Matrix and this guy and Neo is this n- n- like notorious hacker and Mor- Neo Morpheus, and, and that's the other thing. Like they make reference to this earlier. Like they don't talk about their reputations in the real world very much. You know what I mean? Uh, the agents when they take um, Neo, Mr. Anderson, and they have that whole melding their face melting his mouth together thing yeah. they say they you know where you operate as uh, hacker neo and you're guilty of virtually every computer crime we have a law for and then he talks to trinity and he's like oh the trinity that that hacked into this thing and then morpheus one of the, the many consider the most dangerous man alive they're like fbi most wanted like level shit and stuff like that in this movie which is crazy uh and it's also again ties into the whole anti-authoritarian thing where these people are essentially kind of considered almost terrorists in a way in the in the matrix reality yes which i think is ultimately a kind of turns out to be if you think about it from a certain point of view almost kind of problematic because this movie came out three weeks before Columbine happened mm. and then that happened a lot of people were like it's the matrix fault because they wore long black trench coats and yeah. all that stuff and um, you know they hold the whole thing where they're like guns, lots of guns, that whole thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and that scene with them walking with them, the shootout in the hotel lobby. Like I love that sequence. I think it's amazing. But if you watch it from 
without the knowing what the matrix is, you're just like, oh, okay, so they're just two crazy people in sunglasses and black coats that just walked in and murdered a bunch of people, which is what it looks like. Yeah, they're, they're not programmers <coughs> as people. Those those are people that are going to be fed to other people in pods now because they got killed. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they established very early on, Morpheus mentions, you know, if you're not one of us, you're potentially one of them. Um, as we, you know, we see later in the movie, the agent's kind of taking over random people. And it's interesting, it, that's the only, and it's, that's the scene where the movie really gets the most violent, too. Like, you see, literally, you see blood on those people as they're getting shot up and by Neo and Trinity. Mm-hmm. It's not like all the, other, all the other scenes before that, you're like, oh, people disappear, and it's a program, or, like, they're just sparring and punching and stuff. It's, they are killing people. They are kind of collateral damage, I guess, kind of in the war between the, uh, the rebels Humans and, and the machines. machines. Yeah, yeah, basically, but... That's what that is. What happening? It's you're watching him walk through and murder people, and it's not like a simulation. They're murdering people. Yeah. So from that perspective, it almost makes you kind of look at it like, wow, you know, you thinks about make you think about the heroes in a different light in a way, um, just because that's kind of the context for it. I, I believe in in this instant, it, it, they in order to stop the machines and to get Morpheus. They had to, they were standing in the way yeah. and they need to get them out quickly so they can get to, to the, the it's real, a, the real problem. It's a Bane situation. Yeah, yeah. It's a necessary evil type of deal. Exactly. If you, if you on hand combat all the people, they could take out all those people easily, but then the agents would know and they would already be down there and yeah. they would be dead. So they had to go through with, with the guns and get it all done real quick and then to to get to the rooftop so i mean it's kind of and and even in real life situations sometimes that has to be the case too you know if they need to get a primary sus you know they need to get like a terrorist or something like that there's sometimes collateral damage and some of those people, they might be people that have been dragged into the situation. It's ballsy of the movie for not shying away from the violence that they're inflicting is what I guess what I'm saying. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like the fact that, that if you look at it from a real world perspective, that that is the case. And the fact that the movie is not like sugarcoating it, like, yeah, they're killing these people, but not really. It's like, it's a nice death. They're fine. You know? Yeah. They're like, like it's bloody and, and messy and, and not like, not like a Robocop messy where some of the stuff in that movie, but it's, it's, uh, you know, they don't shy away from that. And I, um, you know, I, I love that sequence. It's just an interesting wrinkle, an interesting way of, of thinking about that scene. Uh, which by the way, if you remember, do you remember the video game, the path of Neo? that we had on, I think, PS2. That's That was yes. one of my favorite levels because you got to actually walk, like, play a lot of these sequences from this movie. Yeah, and you could go and walk, uh, run on the walls. Yeah, that was, that was and, fun. I, so the whole do, time like, watching that, I was like, shit, I have that game. I have my I have a PS2 still. Yeah. I should dig that out and be like, yeah. and, and jump into that because that, that was a fun, I, I don't think that game was very well received in general, but I, I liked just because I like that one and I like the, the one the with the, the Smiths. Yeah, yeah. You get to fight the Smiths. Oh, yeah, 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 too. yeah. Yeah. Well, because it was, it's like basically highlights to, from the trilogy from Neo's perspective. Exactly. I think because they put on Enter the Matrix and people were just like, 
what the hell? I'm in like some other story playing as Jada, Jada Pinkett. I don't want to play as Jada Pinkett Smith and this other dude. I want to play as Neo. So they're like, oh, okay, crap. You just want a game where you can play as Neo. All right, here you go. You're the one now. Yeah, congratulations. The path of Neo, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. <laughs> You're the one. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I like both games for different reasons. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's what came into my mind watching the lobby scene. And of course, keying up to that, we have the whole thing with Neo going in there, uh, you know, saying he's not the one to go and save Morpheus and then Trinity giving her whole like hero speech and that, that, that epic moment where she's like load us up with that whole thing where they're like going in there together with the guns, lots of guns. I already said about that. Um, yeah. So the other thing I, I want to try to transition to here that I thought was interesting with, um, Neo and Trinity, they're both very, I noticed, I noticed this before, but it really, I, you know, I wanted to make sure we talked about it. Uh, Neo and Trinity are both very kind of androgynous, you know. Keanu is a man who has kind of Feminine delicate features. Yeah, but delicate features. And then Carrie Ann Moss is, you know, an attractive woman, but she has like hard jawline. She's got like kind of masculine uh, uh, elements. Attributes as yeah. well. Yeah. And I think that's interesting that they're both kind of androgynous and in a way, especially when you consider now in the 20 years since this movie both Larry and Andy Wachowski have become Lana and Lily Wachowski and they both it turned out to be transgender. Yes. I think it's interesting that in this film with the way that the two leads are there, like it's gender is a very fluid thing in this movie. And I think that that's obviously something that was very deliberate on their end. Yeah. I think that translates to a lot of their work, even in sense eight. Uh, well, since eight, I think does it even, there's more a lot of like, uh, yes. yeah, it's more blatant, but, but even um, in this, the, um, was it Matrix Reloaded? That's the mm-hmm. second one? Yeah. See, I don't even know. <laughs> well, they have like the whole orgy scene that's kind of like being like everyone is having sex with whoever. Right. And then Neo and Trinity, who, when they're like, they're having, their, you know, gets intercut with their sex scene. And Neo and Trinity, like both dark hair, similar kind of, you know, muscularity or whatever. And they're like all up on each other with the only holes you really see are the, the ones from the Matrix. Yeah. And they're just like, it's like an amorphous blob of two similar looking people kind of, you know, making love and things like that. And I think that, yeah, I think I, I don't I, and the way that they handle that in here, because this is 99. This is when being gay was even still kind of taboo. This was a couple of years out from Ellen DeGeneres is coming out, but that was a huge deal. And she got a lot of hate and a lot of crap from people because they were much less accepting then than they are now. It's interesting in that regard, how far we've come in 20 years where now, if you say something about a gay person or you use the wrong pronoun or whatever, or a transgender person, now you're a pariah, you're the asshole. Whereas 20 years ago, it would be the other way around. It wouldn't, you know what I mean? It yeah, wasn't, now that it still doesn't oh, exist. Well, still, no, I'm not saying it oh, exists, yeah. but now that this... <laughs> closeted this, more. Yeah, this, the social norm is to be respectful and accepting of gay people and transgender people and uh, the LGBT community. Whereas back here, 20 years ago, in the 90s, every movie had jokes making fun of gay people, making fun of trans people. I mean, you got the character in The Wedding Singer, kind I talked about uh, on the Ace Ventura episode, how that whole twist at the end is super transphobic and basically like, you know, kind of mocking that entire community. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's at, the, at the time, it, Jim Carrey's reaction is very... Right comedic and funny but at the same it's time very it's dated. very dated that, that, that sensibility well. is very dated yeah. yeah it's not yeah it's not at, at the time it wasn't 
seen. I mean, by LGBT community probably was, but well, at the yeah, time it but, wasn't seen as in the mainstream as like, well, this is offensive. It was, it was, it was a different time, but you know, here they were also able is to, Jim Carrey. I don't know. Well, it's not, it's not like a, you it's, know, it's not Jim like, Carrey is not any other comedian. I mean, you know, the year before Days Mature, you had the crying game, which has a huge gender dynamic twist as well. Yes. So, um, so yeah, it did exist, but it wasn't as mainstream. It wasn't the, the people's reaction to, um, that kind of gender fluidity, like I said, was near, not nearly as evolved as it kind of is now for the most part. Like, yeah. the, the, and I'm talking like the generally, generally accepted social norm. Yeah. Cause um, more and more people started talking about it. And because more and more people start talking about it, they realized, Hey, there's more, of a community of people that have the same yeah. sexual preference as I do or feel that they're not, um, you know, they, they were born a different gender. Um, and because of that, they, but because they have other people that feel the exact same way that they do as a group, as a community, they, it's easier to face issues back then though. It's like, you know, who is coming out, uh, you know, Alan DeGeneres comes out, but who uh, all these other people are closeted, but they're right. afraid of coming out. And now someone's, you like, have enough people that are somebody, brave to come out. Then right. you start getting a voice and people more and more get that bravery too. Right. It's right. like, it's like, you know, like you're at, you're at like a, like a, a, a um, like a high school dance or something. And everyone's like afraid to go out and dance and then one person goes and dances and another person, it's kind of like that effect. Right. I don't know. There's, there's yeah, I, guess, I think there's another effect. Probably. Like, like another word for, it, for it. Yeah. Like a term, but it's, yeah, it's, it's the same concept. That. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it, I just thought it was, it was cool how they, they made such a, took such a statement on that in the nineties when that was not cool. And they kind of snuck it in there. Uh, under the guise of just like the who they cast and the way that they uh, they portray those characters, you know. Yes. Um, whereas then, as you said, Ellen DeGeneres, like I don't think we realize now. I mean, some people do, but I don't. I think some of us sometimes forget because we take it for granted that Ellen DeGeneres was we owe like the LGBT community owes a lot to her for, for really pushing that forward and being the one of the people bold enough to come out in that in such a public way on her TV show, on her sitcom in the nineties. And, uh, and like all the magazines and interviews and everything that really became out of that. Um, whereas now an actor or whatever tweets out, you know, they're, 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 you know, they're gay or whatever and trans, bisexual, whatever, and comes out of the closet and everyone's like, good for you. Live your best life. You do you. Or as then it'd be like a lot, I mean, you still get hate and shit too, obviously, but those people now will be taken down by the people that have got their back. Whereas before everybody'd be like, yeah, okay. I don't know how I feel about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's a real evolution with that, and this movie was a, in, a, in a way it's ahead of its time in kind of tackling that, but doing so in a very sly way, so that Warner Brothers would be like, I don't know about all this. This is not what are we Netflix over here with all that? You know what I mean? Yeah, you're saying like uh, the Matrix. Yeah, the Matrix. The way that yeah. they 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 had that theme in it's, there. It's a it's a subtle theme. It's subtle, exactly. Whereas yeah. with Sense Eight, because the world has changed, they can be like, "Oh no, we're gonna have gay characters, trans characters. It's all good. Whatever. We're gonna have orgies. Yeah, there's like an orgy every other week or whatever. On that, I mean, not a week. It's not a. It's a. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. aired every week to week. But another way that the the time has changed since this movie is that um, this 1999 was the year that 
I think we first got internet in our house, like right around there. Cause I remember going online and like AOL chat rooms and whatever, and having seen people talk about the Phantom Menace, things like that. So this was, I guess around the time that the internet was really going into every home. Full speed ahead. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You've got mail and all that. Yeah. Um, oh, that noise. <laughs> what? That, that, was, that was supposed to be the, that wasn't a Chewbacca impression. Oh, oh okay. That was uh, the dial up connection oh yeah okay it's like some kind of alien creature i'm like is that supposed to be a porg or something oh um no that that's so it's really when kind of technology started to become an inescapable part of our culture i mean there were cell and 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 the movie really reflects that with the cell phones and the computers and and everything is about the internet and the technology you know the movie is really like the 90s were had a lot there was like a lot of techno thrillers there were movies like hackers and the net with Sandra Bullock and things like that, and uh, this was a this movie really kind of pushes that to to uh, to the extreme in a way where the whole film is about technology. You want to get out of here? You need a phone. You need to call me on my cell phone and get to a landline. Mm-hmm. You need to you know, boot up and load yourself in and plug yourself into stuff, which is I, like kind of almost a metaphor for like entering the matrix is very much kind of a metaphor for logging into the, the internet. Yeah. yeah. Internet. Joining part of a community where, you know, part of the system, whatever it's, uh, it's very much that. And I think it's, um, it's interesting that the, the, the film really, uh, encapsulates so much of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a, there's a, a, a big, um, uh, theme of, of computers and technology. And like, like we said, it starts with the binary code and, has that greenish hue of the the text on the screen, and he's a programmer himself. Like, um, and uh, they're all programs and Matrix and different programs and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, there's it's a lot of uh, a lot of computer themes in this. Yeah, definitely. There's a whole um, the other theme that they really touch on a lot. Uh, is the harsh reality versus kind of a beautiful lie. The whole ignorance is bliss thing with the red pill and the blue pill. It's like, I think that's another part of why this film has endured so much is that it kind of asks you the question, well, what would you do? Would you, would you want to be ignorant and just be like living your, quote, happy life, normal existence as part of the system or pull yourself out from that and be like eating this same goddamn goop every day and, uh, being cold all the time and wearing rags basically and like the blue gray existence that is the real world here. And uh, I think that that's an interesting uh, position or moral question to pose the audience because it, it makes as much as we hate Cypher in this movie because he's got that evil goatee and you know, obviously he's up to no good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not even a goatee. It's like the little, it's only here. I think he doesn't have it on the sides. It's just like uh, under his chin, like the yeah. mustache, like this little, I guess it is a goatee. The goatee. Just he has a little He doesn't goatee. have the sideburn things. No. Um, you know, he's obviously supposed to be sort of a, a devilish figure. He's kind of, he even looks kind of evil with that, with his facial hair and his bald head. Um, <laughs> bald head. People with bald head. No, obviously, I'm not <laughs> discriminating disparag- against bald. disparaging bald head. I mean, my hairline is, is running away from itself. No. So. Uh, I will be, I will, if I'm not careful, I'll look like Cypher too with my facial hair on my bald head in, in like 10 years or less. And, and then, and then and you'll look evil as well. Yeah. That's, that's about right. <laughs> um, but it makes Cypher's turn sort of understandable, uh, to, to a certain degree. You know, you understand why after how many, how we don't know exactly how, how long he's been part of Morpheus's crew. We don't know. 
you know, we, we know that the reality in real world is supposed to be closer to 2199 or so they think. Um, but we don't know how long that uh, Cypher has been unplugged. We don't know if it's been 10 years, 20 years, how long he's been kind of just working for Morpheus and, you know, all, oh, he, all said, he does. He is said nine years. Did he say nine years? Yeah, nine years. Okay. So yeah, he did. In that one scene when he's going around being like, I wish I could be there. But and they but break you. But you know, yeah, he said like for the, for, I don't know, when he was talking to, uh, Trinity, probably. I think either Trinity or Agent Smith when they're having the steak. Yeah, he's like, for the, you know, for the nine, for the last nine years, you know what I've come to realize? Ignorance is, but yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. So but I don't mind. Maybe, John. maybe over the past nine years, he came to that realization, and maybe he's been unplugged longer than that, or. Or maybe he's only been unplugged for nine years, but they did say that they normally don't get that old. Like they normally unplug them when they're younger. Yeah. Because it's easier for them to dissociate uh, the reality from the real world or the matrix from the real world. Right. So maybe you, you end up in a, um, uh, what's her name? Mal situation from Inception where they were in the dream so long that she just couldn't like reconcile what was real and what was not real. Exactly. So he might just mean like nine years working with Morpheus, Morpheus yeah, or nine years. Um, just, uh, that's when he realized that he doesn't want to do this and to, to be in that world anymore. He doesn't want to feel cold or, you know, whatever. It's unclear. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So because he's, he's older than Neo how much older would you say? Like maybe six, eight years, maybe something like that. Yeah. So Neo is supposed to be what is Keanu? And Neo like is here? supposed to be Keanu is too like old. My age, early mid thirties, right now is he's like he's like fifty, early fifties now. So early to mid thirties, and then more. Uh, Cipher is probably a little closer to forty, late thirties, yeah. maybe. Yeah, exactly. So if so, that's probably like when he started working with Morpheus or something. When right when he says that. That's a kind of a decent jumping off point for the fact that I like the um, the ignorance is bliss line translates into like the 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 uh, des- not desolation but like the the harshness I guess I'll go back to that of the real world because then they have mouse talking about have you ever had do you ever had tasty wheat like this runny gross shit sounds like tastes like tasty wheat the whole thing about chicken tasting like everything and kind of um, soon after that they talk about food a lot and there's like relatively close span he talks about that. Um, and then Neo's going dr- driving to see the Oracle and Keanu Reeves says to Carrie Ann Moss in the movie, um, says, I have all these memories from my life and none of them happened. He's like, this place had really good noodles. And I think, I, I think that's kind of an interesting, uh, I, 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 I pointed way. Cause we, we, we define so much of our, our lives, but like food is such an important thing for us. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, we'll get together and grab, grab lunch or whatever. Like, you know, yeah. we sit down around a table and talk about our day and have, it's like a communal experience for us. So it's so much about how, how we define our life is just by the time that we, how we spend our time eating food and what we, you know, and the interactions that happen. So I, yeah, exactly. So I think it's interesting that they use food to really kind of, uh, to really kind of get that point across of uh, of the disparity between this experience and this experience, and not only that, I like that really that exchange in the in the uh, in the car with Neo and Trinity because 
they're trying to build towards the romantic end of like the sleeping beauty moment at the end. Mm -hmm. But until later in the movie, after Morpheus is captured and she's like, you know, I, and since I am the ranking officer on this ship, I believe you can go to hell. That whole moment where she joins him on the mission Mm -hmm. up until then, they don't really have a lot of one-on-one conversations. Like there's a beginning early on with the, in the club, but there's a long span of the movie where, it's really more focused on the bromance between Neo and Morpheus. They actually spend the most time together for like act pretty much all of act two. It's Neo and Trinity barely talk to each other. Yes. Um, and I think that moment also is kind of key to keeping that relationship through line going throughout the whole, uh, throughout the whole story. Uh, and there's also that line that I really love, uh, where, um, Morpheus is walking with Neo through that, test program and it says about how everybody's like so hopelessly dependent on the system I thought that would really it's like I like that's the realness I wrote down are you talking about that? <laughs> because that's like so true about how we're talking about the system and uh, how, are you talking about with the one with the, the woman in the red dress right exactly yeah exactly yeah, because um, everyone is like you said earlier everyone is thinking about where to go to what to do I have to go to this this and this and, this and such job we're all wearing the same things um and uh, we're tied to the system. Right. And dare we go out of the system, we yeah. won't survive. Right. And then you can look, you can read that a million different ways. Yeah. Whether that's like, oh, I decide to, you know, be gay or, or you know, pursue a different lifestyle. I, I, my parents want me to have kids and I don't want to have kids. I want to live my own life and make my own decisions. I don't want to work a nine to five job. I want to start my own business. Like you could read that so many different ways, mm-hmm. that statement of like being part of the system and, uh, you know, you don't want to follow the norm. You want to kind of go off the grid and, and not off the grid, but go off the beaten path is a better, that's a better phrase for that. Um, and, and, and live your truth basically sort of thing. Um, so instead uh, of the monotony of, yeah, of uh, life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of have um, make you know live your life with passion and things like and that, and have a little bit more excitement and spontaneity instead of uh, uh, you know just a r- routine schedule, right? As exactly. we, we as we touched earlier, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, one thing about this movie that I mean, well, I, I love the uh, the action. Like even when Smith and Morpheus meet, like you understand the the act two focuses so much on developing Morpheus as a guide for these other characters. That when he's taken, you really feel the impact of, oh shit, now what are they supposed to do? This is like their leader, essentially. Yes. Um, that when Smith and Morpheus meet, you understand those characters, you understand what they're doing, you understand, uh, you know, with all the combat in this movie, really, and all the action, you, you, you know who, who the players are, why they're doing what they're doing, and you can see the movement happening. Like the camera stays still so people can fight, you know what I mean? Uh, it's none of this like Michael Bay quick cut bullshit. It's like you know where they are. You have the uh, geography of the place. They say so. You know, one of the big tenets that I've heard on and on again about how to direct action is you need to you need to establish a sense of place. Your audience doesn't know where these characters are in relation to each other or in relation in relation to their environment. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be as invested in it because they're not going to. You know, it's just going to look like a bunch of jumbled, cobbled together footage. Yes. It's not going to feel like a true sequence. And I think this movie really uh, focuses on character first. I mean, that's like we said, there's th- throughout like the first two thirds of the movie, there really isn't that many. There's action, but it's sprinkled throughout until it becomes like a full fledged action movie, like the last what 40 minutes or whatever. Then it's just like, you know, the lobby, th- the lobby fight, the ro- rooftop fight, 
the helicopter to go get Morpheus. I think it's even less than 40 minutes, no? Yeah. It's like 20 Maybe, minutes. Yeah. Well, but then you get even in the, the combat, the thing with uh, Smith and Neo in the subway, the chase scene to get to, like, there's a lot. It's like, it's like basically constant wall, act, constant wall-to-wall action. The last like, 30, 40, whatever minutes, like that last act. Um, and, you know, they, they, they earn that throughout by establishing the characters first and building to it. Um, and I also think in a lot of ways, this movie kind of set a new standard for Hollywood stars doing their own stunts. Because when you when the camera's on Keanu Reeves and Hugo Weaving doing fighting, you know that's Keanu Reeves and Hugo Weaving, Hugo Weaving or Carrie Ann Moss or Lawrence Fishburne up on wires and shit. Yeah, you know? exactly. And Lawrence Fishburne was only a few years out from his Oscar-nominated uh, role playing Ike Turner in What's Love Got to Do With It. So he's not an action star. He's a dramatic actor. None of these people, I mean, I think Keanu Reeves, I don't even know if he was really so uh, so much of an action, I don't even know if he was really into martial arts at all at this point, or if maybe since this movie, he kind of kept it up, because obviously now he's John Wick also. And yeah. So, so I, I wonder if um, this was kind of the movie that like made him realize that, oh, this martial arts, this is a good training for me, or if it was a part of his life before that, I don't know. But um, I think that's, you know, after this point, I think a lot of stars probably were like, oh, man, my agent says that I have to learn. I have to go train for six months to do these fight sequence and stuff, not just be in shape, but like actually do some of the stuff that I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Learn choreography. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A lot of Hollywood people were not Hong Kong. They did that all the time. Jackie Chan and all these people learned how to do the the moves and stuff. Um, But that didn't really happen before the Matrix here. Well, they they knew how to fight prior some of the actors they just they just learn well most of the actors they just learn the choreography so it's right. like dancing pretty much unless you had like a a, a van damme or a seagal who are already athletes in yeah. a way uh, like even arnold schwarzenegger like you watch those movies those action movies with arnold schwarzenegger who was a bodybuilder so he had the physique and the muscles but he's not like doing kung fu for most of these holding up a, a shooting things and just like you know, it's not like it's not literally as brute force. It's not, yeah, it's not as it's like as the, the, like the, the agents, agents. yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the Hulk like, yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. It's, He's um, there's no, there's not, it's, it's so much skill involved, and uh, I think the the Matrix is a is a tremendous turning point where you know regular actors had to learn how to become action stars, in a way. Um, also, I like that that uh, I like that action uh that type of like shooting action better where it's just it's not like the the jason Bourne like right. cut like very very quick fast paced i don't know if it's because a lot of like those are in like close quarters and maybe when it's like you know at close quarters like say in a room or in a house or something mm-hmm. it's maybe they're, they're like oh it would be cooler if we do like fast and cut pace or whatever mm-hmm. Um, but if it's like out outside or on a rooftop or in like a dojo or something, maybe they want to go and do like no like quick shots, just like the, you know, just get the whole image with the two of them fighting. Right. You know? Yeah. I don't know if that has anything to do with, with them choosing that, but I, I like, I like seeing the movement instead of it cutting back and forth. Because then it, yeah, it feels like it's not. It feels it like there's feel, no technique. It, it's inauthentic, is what it is. Yeah, it feels like there's no technique. It's just the the person that you give props to is the editor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Basically, you don't. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, exactly my point. Um, 
part of another thing that why I I think the sequels kind of suffer is that um, the entire ta- the entire crew of this ship, with the exception of the main people, is killed off, and the only and ta- not even Tank carries over. And I know part of that was behind behind the scenes. Like I think Marcus Strong wanted a certain amount of money, or was like a pain in the ass on set, or something like that. But I really like that character, and it's a yeah, bummer that he got set up here, and rather than recast, they just had him, I guess, die from his wounds that Cypher inflicted on him or whatever. Is what is they that what of, happened? That's what they said, said in interviews and stuff. I think they were just like, yeah, fuck that guy. He was annoying to deal <laughs> with on the set or whatever. I don't know. Um, but uh, then, you know, I don't like the way that that goes because I thought Tank was a really endearing character in this. Uh, I thought he, that brought a lot to it. He had a lot of energy. He's like, it's a very exciting time and like things like that. Uh, I thought he was really great there. And then the tease for Zion, I think, also backfired because he makes Zion sound really cool. It's like, oh, you know, the center of the earth where it's still warm. And then Zion, it's all like, I was like, oh, man. Uh, I think (laughs) Zion in the sequels is actually the most boring scenes in the movie or set in Zion in the sequels, in my opinion. Um, But but yeah, so the tank thing is also kind of a bummer. I, I really liked his character. Uh, in that, I mean, moving over, shifting my notes over. That was the, <laughs> you might have heard my pages there. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we talked about how Smith is becoming more human. Uh, uh, I like the uh, the the scene where there there's a whole sequence, and I know we quoted this a lot growing up. But the whole Smith holding Morpheus is like, "I must get out of here. I must get." that whole thing and who he's cracking under the pressure uh, of being in the matrix and becoming more human sort of uh, in in reaction to that Um, but he makes an interesting point about how the matrix this version of the matrix has been redesigned to like uh, and he mentions you know the first matrix was this like almost hinting at the fact that there were other yeah but he hints also at the fact that there have been other versions of the matrix which is interesting um, but he talks about the late 90s as the peak of our civilization. And he talks about evolution, like the dinosaurs, um, and about how we, we define our reality by our suffering, uh, by misery and suffering. Yeah. I think that's kind of a profound and thing. They, sound, they said that, he said that the Matrix uh, was more believable when that was incorporated. Right. Uh, when, when it was a perfect world and nothing bad happened, then they started to question if something was wrong. Right. And I so, think, you know, you have that a lot of a lot of people are like that today. They start getting antsy when things are going too well because they're waiting for the the other shoe to drop and like, all right, something's got to go. Something's got to go bad to, you know, nothing could be going this well. You know what I mean? Like people tend to like self-sabotage or whatever. It's it's interesting. It's an interesting idea to ponder whether we do, you know, we need to be a certain amount of upset with things or just depressed or angry or whatever, frustrated in order to like, because a lot of times, you know, Every people uh, people do this to all varying degrees, but uh, I think pretty much everybody at some point manufactures drama. Whether you're making a big stink over nothing, over some little bullshit thing, or someone says something to you and you react a certain. But it's like you know, it's it, you're like looking for reasons to be pissed off. It's almost like you do, um, like you do define your reality by your misery and your suffering. Uh, and I and I like how he was. Uh, he's. Tank explains the um, that they're hacking into, they're breaking into Morpheus's mind, and it's like hacking a computer. And then the movie kind of continually, whether it's Smith kind of freaking out about you know being in the Matrix and how much he wants to get the hell out of there, or you know Tank explaining, uh, kind of drawing parallels between the humans and the machines. It's ultimately like 
we're not so different, you and I. It's like that kind of thing a little bit. Yeah. And I think that's a, a, an interesting thing. Like the way, the more they're around each other, the humans and the machines kind they, of become, it's like symbiotic. Yeah, they yeah, kind of like find, a, they find like a middle ground between the two where the, the, the robots are becoming more human, the humans are becoming more right. robotic. Exactly. Or meth- methodical. Right. I guess, which is in turn. Yeah, that's robotic. another theme I think that also plays into something like Blade Runner where... The rep- I don't know if you've seen Blade Runner, at least not recently. I probably no, should have at some point. No. Well, the replicants like have like a lot of human characteristics. And then you have Harrison Ford's Deckard, who's like very kind of cold and unfeeling, almost robotic. And it's kind of they play with that dynamic a lot too. There, um, you know, the whole thing. I feel like that whole scene with Morpheus and Smith is such a showcase for Hugo Weaving in I general. Think, I think because one of like the the agents are hanging around the humans you know if you hang around someone enough you're going to become them right so they're hanging around uh the humans so they're becoming more and more humanized by that's why he says like he feels like you know being infected by yeah, it. he's being infected by it and he calls us and, a, a cancer of this planet and they're the cure yeah and 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 on the uh, on the flip side the people from the real world are trying to um, think and and move more like them in a way, so they survive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, Trinity has to learn how to fly a helicopter by having it uploaded the op- knowledge uploaded to her. It's like we're having skills and stuff uploaded into our consciousness, and they're developing human emotions. It's yeah. it's, it's weird. It's like we're starting to flip places. Yeah. Um, and. Y- you know, you can think about. I was thinking. I was. I was thinking about like how. Oh, how does she like know like the model of the helicopter? Well, you know, they probably uploaded all of the models of helicopters and cars and and guns and all this stuff into their heads, so they know the, the names of them. Need, yeah, yeah. And then if they're like, oh, I see, th- this is that model. This is the 2015 model or whatever. You know, they know it because they had that previously uploaded and then he can go and pick that file and load it in instead of loading how to drive every single helicopter or car that's that's a good point whatever. you upload the table of contents of the book not necessarily exactly. every single chapter so yeah. they know like oh i want chapter 27 of this of this book and then you just go and you pick that knowledge and you put it in yeah. instead of otherwise you'd spend hours learning how to drive everything it's like Trinity in the chair with her eyes kind of fluttering and then Trinity on top of the rooftop with her eyes fluttering. She's like, let's go. I love yeah. that. That's so it's cool. Like, it's like you have an avatar that's in the matrix. Yeah, exactly. And you have that avatar and you upload skills or whatever to it. And then and avatar is the perfect, on, perfect way to say it because avatar does that same kind of thing where his consciousness is being put into this this like basically body that was built for him oh in avatar yeah but it's like in, that in terms of computer terms but it's like yeah but avatar even the movie avatar and, delves into that yeah uh, that concept of the your consciousness and your body are not the same thing uh, so it just then, so happens that they look exactly the same but they don't have to right i suppose they could be anybody well it's the residual self-image right yeah when in real life they look like their hair's all jacked up they could have all acne and stuff and then you plug in you're like look i'm awesome and buff sweet yeah um, and that's something I reference. Like I reference residual self-image all the time. Like, like in terms like the mouse guy. Like, yeah, he's small, but in the Matrix, he could be really, really strong. Yeah, he looks really it, cool and stuff. Yeah, whatever. if he, if he had the yeah. capacity 
to it all depends on the, your mental skill i think more than more than your your because muscles don't mean anything in that world right just like he says you think that's air you're breathing now it's a great moment like, there's nothing like everything like everything you've everything you've eaten all the all everything you've experienced everything that you think is true in terms of like you know strength and 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 uh it's just all make believe right so it's, it's all it's all programming yeah exactly it's all programmed to, to make you believe more in in the matrix programming well, from the matrix or society yeah how you want yeah to read it. yeah because i mean that's another good question like though the real world when it was before it was uh you know before it was like destroyed did it have the same attributes as the matrix or was it a completely different they said they modeled it after. I don't know how much like, they changed. Them, like, yeah. did the food taste that way? Right. They don't know. The did food taste didn't anything? Know. Did they even they have They didn't know food? what to make chicken taste like. That's why it tastes like everything. Yeah. The, the dude says. Yeah, um, I don't know. But, like, did... Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Um, and then Morpheus. They saved Morpheus. All the action stuff happens. We're kind of haphazardly jumping around, but... Uh, but my notes were written as I was watching the movie. So, uh, <laughs> they saved Morpheus. He jumps up and leaps into his little bro hug with Neo. Um... Then and, and and again, one of the one of my favorite uh, moments in the movie was the uh, the helicopter crashes. Morpheus like they drop Morpheus, so he's you know not by Morpheus, not to his death, to the rooftop. Yeah, uh, that would be like counterproductive. And then uh, the helicopter starts going down because Smith shoots the uh, engine, fuel's leaking, and Neo like insanely decides, you know what? I know I'm not the one, but I'm gonna somehow. Pull up this helicopter. I guess to slow no, it down. No, I think whatever. I think he he, he reacted instinctually. He, he reacted. Cares about her no, too. yeah, he he did that because he he figured that maybe she would, which take is the what rope she does. Out. Yeah, and that and scene, the whole that whole moment where the the helicopter hits the the uh, the building, mm-hmm. and it, it but first before it explodes, the like the like ripples on the, on the building so cool such a great idea yeah. such a there's so much of visual imagination uh and like just creativity in every inst in every element in every instance in every moment of this movie and uh I, I, little touches like that they didn't have to have the the thing ripple it could have just exploded but that just reflects that hey they're in a program this is what happens and then the actual consequences follow yeah and then and then they got the shot of Carrie Ann Moss swinging away from the explosion and uh, into right the into glass. the glass which yeah. obviously they just had like a piece of glass and the camera behind the glass so it like shattered in a certain way yeah. and uh, that's so cool it's such a great so many great ideas in this movie um, we're kind of winding down here I like the western homage in the subway fight that the newspapers blow by instead yeah. of tumbleweeds it's very clearly they were framed we're like behind Neo and you see Smith like in the far a, end like of the a, frame yeah, and then like reverse yeah I love that that whole uh, that whole scene is is, is amazing um, I also noted that it, you only see them disappear into the phone for the first time like at the end of the movie like we know that they get out because they you know they pick up the phone um like they they pick up they pick up the phone you mean in, when in the, the Matrix uh, when I mean when, when they Neo exit does the Matrix it. well no Morpheus does it Morpheus does it, and oh, we yeah, kind of yeah. see Morpheus go zoom into the Matrix or whatever, yeah. uh, into the phone, and then waking up, uh, kind of, I guess, logging off that session in the yeah. Matrix, if we're yeah. using this basically a computer program, a computer game, almost. Um, because every time they do it before, 
it's like they cut to something else or like the camera's revolving around the group like as they're about to pick up the phone and then they're there in the matrix so you know you never see them and again that's because creativity like necessity being the mother of invention they they save that kind of digital effect for that one instance yeah when you when you need to see now, it when, uh, can like, can neo be killed in the matrix i mean he is and then comes back no i mean like he's after digital that, jesus basically can he be killed after though he can't right in the matrix or in the real world in the matrix i don't I don't know how they would because he stops bullets and stuff. Well, because he's like fighting like the ghost people and stuff, but it's like, can, and this, can he no, be killed though? And because of that, I think because the whole movie mentions at one point, the body can't live without the mind. But, but the technically there's no, there's no stakes maybe in the sequels as much because you're like, all right, he already transcended kill. his mind. Yes. Though. Yeah. The, the whole, the whole limiting factor of the other characters and Neo before he gets killed is that a part of them still believes that the Matrix is going to cause their mind harm. Right. So because they didn't have that sense of Zen, they are going to be killed. But if you have that sense of Zen and you become one with the Matrix, it's not the Force now. Come on. Oh, in in terms it is. If you if you realize that hey, this this is all, like, I guess, make-believe, you can kind of say. This is all program that I've been uploaded into. And then and my past experience, like, like say you put, like, Tank or, or Dozer in there. Yeah. They would probably be okay with it because they didn't grow up with it. But all these other people grew up in the Matrix. They have those implanted memories. So that drags them down on transcending the Matrix. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because they have that, it's like, like, like the, he's like, oh, I used to eat there, you know, right? Like once, like does he say that it's, after it's he of, after he gets killed? When Morpheus tells him, you know, you're faster than this. Don't think you are. Know you are. And then, like at the end of this movie, he's like, I know that I'm invincible in the Matrix. Yeah, I mean, okay, I'm invincible in the Matrix now. I guess it's like once you, you know, it's like uh, you kind of think it into reality. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I think that, that's a good point. That also that's a, also a good life lesson too. If yeah. You think it? You, you kind of touched on this earlier as well. But um, be the change you want to see in the world. That kind yeah. of thing. It's like yeah. If you. Yeah. Um. But that's another thing. Like when he gets killed, is he's not Neo anymore. He's the one. He's. There's that triumphant music that he, happens no, too. He, I feel like he's. He's like, not Thomas Anderson. He's anymore. like his soul, like his energy. Well, he has been reverberated back to right. life through right. the kiss or whatever. Right. And because of that link, because um, maybe, you know, when you, you you die, your mind is still active e- even after you're dead mm-hmm. a little bit. Your mind is still, um, your mind is still like, it's there's still, your, your mind's the last place to go. Right. Now, when Trinity kisses him, his mind's still active. That anchors him into the real world. Ooh, she's his constant, like, lost. Yeah. She Again, anchors, another lost reference. She anchors him to the real world and brings him back to life. Once he's brought back to life, it's essentially his spirit that comes back to life. Right. Not Neo with memories and all these things that are that are tying him down to the Matrix. Now he's anchored in the real world. Right. And... And now he's not 
any more different than Tanker Dozer that grew up in that world because he's been anchored to that world now instead of the Matrix. So he switched, yeah. So he switched his perspective from the Matrix to the real world. And and because of that, I didn't think of it that way. That makes a lot of sense. And actually. because of that, it's a spiritual he's allegory. Able, so much he's of this movie able is to that see way. the code for what it is. So when he wakes up. He he doesn't see the agents. He sees the code, code. of the agent. Yeah. So then, subsequently, that they're going forward when he's in the matrix. He sees the code of the matrix. Exactly. Um, uh, he does when he wakes. He he does seem way more at peace. He's not right before that. He's like. Get me the hell out of here! And he's running around. He's all super nervous. And then not only is he not, he acts like, more like you, agents, right? He's he in, he's, he easily fends off Smith with no problem, uh, without even like really moving. He literally destroys him from the inside out. And then when he comes out, you get that great shot of of Hugo Weaving, like part of Hugo Weaving's face, literally screaming as it flies past the camera. <laughs> Which I think is again really and you, and you creative to, imagery. You have to think at that point in the movie. Both characters are as far apart from each other as possible. They've completely switched roles at this point. Right. The other one, uh, you know, Agent Smith is is just usually like straight to business. Um, you know, just robotic in in sense, no, no emotion. You know, men are all and then dead. and and Neo's like you know. Wizard, get me the hell out of here. Well, he's like freaking movie, out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know what I mean. But he's like showing emotion. Then they switch. Now Neo is cold face, you know, stone cold face. And Agent Smith <coughs> is showing frustration. Well, it's not even, yeah, exactly. And he starts, They, you know, they completely swap roles. It's not even like stone cold face. It's like he's literally like yeah. at peace. He does a, a deep sigh and it's very, it's very, he's very, um, it's almost like a very Buddhist kind of like, yeah, like, like meditation thing. He just straight up jumped into a dude, popped out of the dude, and he's just like the the walls kind of reverberate when he stands there. And uh, it, it it's it's really you know it go, it underscores the fact that spirituality is such a key in this movie. Um, and then of course he gets out of the matrix just as they turn the EMP on. Uh, to stop the sentinels and things like that. And we have our kiss and then, yay, Neo's saved. He's the one for sure. After spending the whole movie, he's the one. I'm not the one, Trinity. He told you exactly what you needed to hear. How could he die? He's not the one. And then Morpheus like, he's the one. Oh, the music and everything. <laughs> yeah. And then Neo does his whole thing about afraid of us, afraid of change, anything's possible, which feels like it's speaking directly to the audience. And he flies off doing his Superman thing, mm-hmm. as Link would say in the in the uh, in the next film. It's it's like a piece of literature. It's a philosophy much. course mashed into a sci-fi movie too. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, there's there's so much. It's such a rich experience that now watching it, 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 I still notice new things about it to the point that I had four pages of notes. Do you think they're gonna make like revamp the Matrix? They've talked about it. There's been talks and rumors or whatever about or continue the matrix in the same timeline that's what i've heard i've heard initially there was reported that they warner brothers was interesting and interested in doing a matrix reboot whatever that means these days and then one of the screenwriters attached to it came out and said that that they you know nothing's happening just yet but that they're very much interested in telling more stories in this universe which to makes makes sense to me with the understanding that the same continuity and all the stuff with Neo Trinity and Morpheus happened, and then whether they like pick it up from there 
your decades later when or whatever, older or whatever. When they're when they're when they're older or with doing like Force Awakens style, where like that happened, but we're focusing on new characters. There was even rumor going around about they wanted Michael B. Jordan to lead it for some reason, and one story came out saying speculating that they were maybe thinking about like a young Morpheus story or something. Like I don't know if they would do. I would prefer personally not hope, hope they wouldn't go like the prequel route. Yeah. I mean, I saw Solo and it's fine, but. I could have done without that movie. I'd rather mm-hmm. you just focus on new stuff yeah, and exactly. pick up 20 years later, bring back maybe the same actress as the Oracle or whatever. You know, it'd be and cool just have it kind of in real time. Um, maybe the piece between the robe, the machines and the humans is already kind of shaky when it starts. Maybe it finally breaks. Something happens and the piece ends and it starts all over again and they have to go into the matrix and blue some shit. There's so much they could do with this world. I think the, the, the only way of them being able to do is take all three. As a package, yeah, deal. you have to. As it's, flawed it's, as the other two are, right? <laughs> so, well, I mean, you don't have to reference every little thing. Did you know there was werewolves? And you know, it'd be cool and if, uh, if, if, um, you know, Agent Smith ended up getting caught in the program of the Matrix or something, uh-huh. and then now he became like an older man. He emerges like twenty you years know, old, like, like, he, like Tom like Hanks, he is, castaway style. You know, like, like he's I've the age he is now. So long, Mister Anderson. Oh, tough. But I finally found a way out. Nice to finally meet you again. Or nice to finally see you again, Mister Anderson. It was inevitable. <laughs> I would escape. I think most of these actors would love to come back. If the Wachowskis are involved, now if it's a bunch of it's a bunch of like, it's if it's a bunch of crap thrown up there with by another team. If it's a different team that, but it's not terrible, I still don't think Keanu and stuff because he said he would only want to be involved if the Wachowskis are writing and directing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what we I learned today about is the other no, no. What we learned today is go watch the Matrix if you haven't seen it for some reason and now you know everything about it. So sorry. And if you uh, and if you if have, you have yeah. seen it, you should go back and you'll find things that go blind buy it on Amazon. It'll make you love it more. Go blind buy it on Amazon on Blu-ray and then watch it over and over and then you'll love it as much as us. Uh, and also, Freddie's gonna needs to go watch the Matrix sequels because he needs to brush it up on no, it. No, I don't want to <laughs> pretend they don't exist. <laughs> that was our conversation from 2019 about the Matrix. Obviously, big thanks to Freddie for coming on back then to discuss it. I'd love to have him back at some point to talk about something else. Next episode, I'm gonna be posting the conversation that I had with Jackson Smith from Screen Fever and Nightfall Entertainment about The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions. Uh, That was a year ago, right? Like basically a year before The Matrix Resurrections comes out. We had that conversation and I'm really excited to, to, in the lead up to Resurrections, share that with you. But for now, you can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table, the same handle on Instagram, via email at robert at crookedtable.com. That's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Stay crooked, everyone. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-O-K-E-D.